happy Halloween, my pretties! On this night, ghouls and goblins, phantoms and vampires, ghosts and villains roam the earth freely and without thou disguise. Searching for thy blood, searching for thou soul! I'm your host, Tessa Morrow, and later on at the end of the show, you'll be hearing those awesome tunes from Bobby Mackey. You know, I truly love this holiday, and it may be different this year due to the pandemic, but I still feel the eeriness that Halloween always has to offer in that cool, crisp air. Screams in the distance. (whistles) Howling. Things just got spang tingly, my beauties. For this deliciously special holiday bonus episode, I asked several of my dear paranormal family and friends to share some spooky stories with us. And just an FYI, some will be sharing EVPs, that good old electronic voice phenomena. So be sure to grab some headphones as sometimes it's much easier to hear those voices of the dead through those ear vessel phones. Now, sit back and enjoy my delicious blood donors and try not to get too scared. <laughs> Warning, what you are about to hear are true events. The first encounter I'd like to share is by my good friend Steve Kawamura. He's a paramedic and soon to be an author from Canada. My name is Steve Kawamura. I've been a paramedic up here in Canada for 19 years. I'd never say I'd seen it all, but I could tell you I've seen enough. People ask me what the craziest thing I ever seen was. I never thought it would be something paranormal. It was the summer of 2007, around 3 a.m., just after the bars closed. The radio was quiet when they called my number for an intruder. Increased confusion. I looked at my partner puzzled, and the both of us discussed that police should be doing this call, not us. Our thoughts were answered when dispatch radioed back that police wouldn't be attending this call because they had responded to this address many times and had never found an intruder. So my partner went in and we were greeted by a distraught elderly lady. She pointed to the couch and asked us if we could see the man there. When we told her we couldn't, she insisted there was a man in the house. So we asked her what he looked like, what he was wearing, what color his hair and eyes were but she couldn't give us a straight answer. So my partner and I decided to assess her medically by taking her vital signs, electrocardiogram, blood sugar, combined with a stroke and mental exam. Everything checked out, except we found she probably had some dementia, not uncommon for the elderly. As we were doing this, I noticed there seemed to be objects placed every 10 feet around the house. A butter knife on the table, an umbrella leaning up against the sofa, Singer's sewing scissors, on the table by the lamp, a screwdriver on the floor, conveniently placed melee weapons readily available for her to grab. When I asked what these were for, she replied, well, those are for the man. 
So I thought to myself, this woman actually believes there's a man in the house. Now, we weren't really busy right then, so I asked my partner, and he agreed that we'd search the house for her. We started off in the basement, and my partner got a strange vibe. He said the hairs on his neck were standing up. I couldn't feel anything. There was nothing remarkable in the basement except a bunch of neglected furniture and belongings collecting a whole lot of dust. So we moved up to the first floor, which was almost already checked when we first arrived, so it took very little time to clear. When I went to the second floor, the first room was completely empty, and I had no intention at that moment to enter that room, because in my logical mind I thought, this is going to be the easiest to check. So I passed it, and I went on to the other bedrooms and bathrooms that didn't yield anything remarkable. When I returned to the empty room with full intentions of searching it, I felt an uneasiness come upon me. Fighting through this feeling, I entered the empty bedroom. The first thing I noticed was that I could see my breath. And it was a summer night, and I shouldn't be able to see my breath. I was almost shivering, wishing I had brought a sweater because the temperature had dropped so much. Now, as I had said before, the room was completely empty. But there was a walk-in closet. My curiosity got the better of me, and since it was the last place to check in the house, I entered that closet. It, too, was empty. No clothes, except for a three-foot-high trap door at the end of the closet. I immediately wanted to open it, but this and this is the only way I can explain it, this emotional feeling of terror came upon me, saying, do not come closer. Do not open this door. But my macho man got the better of me, and I was like, I can do this. So I walked forward and approached. A gentle breeze started to blow inside that closet. There was no sound, just a soft wind against my skin. Now I was scared, but I wanted to push forward, so I did. As I took another step forward, that feeling of terror increased, and the wind picked up so much that I couldn't keep my eyes open, and I physically couldn't push forward any further. Completely terrified, I ran into the hallway and took a few deep breaths. As soon as I succumbed to not opening that door, the feeling of terror was completely gone, and the wind had stopped. I wanted out of that house. I ran downstairs and asked my partner what was happening with our patient. He replied that she didn't want to go to the hospital and we were free to go. I hastily encouraged him to leave with me, and we did. When we were back in the ambulance, I told him the whole story. and He couldn't believe it, but he scolded me with, and I told you so. Wow. In incredible and interesting stuff and quite eerie and what was amazing to me is is that she had all these weapons of opportunity you know like you said the singer sewing scissors and the umbrella and different things like that just conveniently placed throughout the house so wherever she is if she has danger or anything with this man she has something to protect herself with 
very, very eerie stuff. And I'm sure that since Steve's been working in the paramedic field for several years now, almost two decades, I'm sure he has seen some quite bizarre and unexplainable things such as that event. Steve is currently working on a book and I'm hoping to see it published really, really soon. As a fellow author, I couldn't be more excited for him as it's hard to get it in the process, but once it's finally out and about, it's like, oh, all that hard work. It was so worth it. So thank you, Steve, so much for sharing on this most spookiest of all days. What a wonderful blood donor you are. (laughs) The next unsuspecting victim. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, the next guest. (laughs) are two of my wonderful friends, Brendan and Annie, known as Shay and the Weebs. These two phenomenal people are the proud hosts of Serial Spirits, and they are out of West Virginia. And they are going to share a little of their podcast, Serial Spirits, with us right now. So here we go. Seriously, guys, we're not unsolved mysteries. Our podcast can be found on all the platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you subscribe. So here's a preview of our upcoming series. Enjoy. November 2nd, 1966. As the rain pelted against a red-paneled Ford Econovan, Woodrow Durenberger gripped the steering wheel firmly as he headed home down I-77, just south of Marietta, Ohio. Woody heard a loud crash as one of his sewing machines he had loaded in his van toppled over, 
causing him to turn the dome light on and turn around. It was at this moment that he noticed a car traveling at a high rate of speed. As it passed him, he noticed that chasing this car was, as he described, a spaceship. The object began to slow down, and Woody, afraid of hitting it, pulled over to the side of the road. The object turned and blocked the Ford van, and as it came to a stop, it seemed to hover as if gravity had no effect on it. Just as this moment began to come into full realization for Woody, a hatch suddenly opened, and a man stepped out of the object. With a rush, the object suddenly shot back up into the night sky, and Woody sat watching in amazement as the man approached his van. The injured cold story is fascinating because it's kind of uh, opened up the gateway, per se, uh, for all sorts of possibilities. He is allegedly an alien who doesn't look at all like an alien in, in terms of the common context or, or the grays that most people think of. We're not alone in this world. And anybody who thinks that planet Earth, that this is the only, this is the only life force, they're wrong. Tanya remembered unknown men arriving at their house in the days after her father's encounter with Indrid. As a child, she believed they were clergy from the local church. Now, she actually believes they may have been men in black. Where do you think Indricol is now? I don't want to go and say that he's dead. It's possible that he did die in a crash. It gets to a point, just like witness, you know, any sort of witness, you have to sort of say, you know, what's the reality of what occurred here. Humanoids are not very nice people. And they were chasing the humanoids out of the galaxy and away from Earth. Because when I was younger, my dad told me stories about how humanoids would come down to Earth. And they kind of, you know, whatever they wanted, they took. So, Indrid was kind of the our security, so to speak, to make sure the humanoids stayed, stayed away. The story that we're dealing with as far as like coming right. from the horse's mouth itself because she was there, she was present when her dad came home initially and had his first encounter. And like I said, there was somebody on the highway who came forward and said, yeah, I saw Woody talking to this man on the side of the road. I didn't stop, but I seen, you know, he did, somebody did stop with this weird suit on and was talking to this guy. Okay, <laughs> so... To me, it, I mean, for you guys and gals, vamps and ghouls who listen to my podcast, you know by now that, hey, when it comes to spirits, ghosts, wraiths, whatever you want to call them, phantoms, spooks, whatever, I am all for it and I will investigate it till I am blue in the face. But when it comes to like aliens and UFOs and creepy humanoid-like type of things like Ingrid, that scares the hell out of me. I am a big baby. <laughs> so anyways, you guys, they pulled you in. Check out Serial Spirits podcast. They are great people. I've had the pleasure to be on Annie's shows in the past and her and Brandon on mine. Uh, it's just great, great people. Check it out for sure. 
And thank you, Annie and Brandon, for sharing. Next up is my crazy pal, <laughs> who is a stuntman for Hollywood, and he is based out of California. He is best friends with Jason Voorhees and Leatherface, and he's been in several movies such as Hatchet and so many others. Take a listen to what Rick McCallum has to share. Hi, my name is Rick McCollum. I am a member of the Hollywood Ghost Hunters. And I wanted to tell my story for Tessa. Well, I'm not going to tell you my most terrifying story. Or my second most terrifying story. Because those were way too intense and too personal to share. But here goes. This one was pretty damn interesting. Oh, come on, Rick. Don't be a big baby. Um... But here goes. This one was pretty damn interesting. I was at the Pioneer Saloon in Good Springs, Nevada. I was guest of a girl named Jill Allen Patavesi who ran the Haunted Lockdown. I went in and they they were doing uh, the Haunted Lockdown with some other people. And Jill gave us the tour. And then she took us into the one room where one of the guys had been shot in a poker game. Well, there were two round tables next to each other. And I was sitting in the seat where the guy had been shot. They were filming it and recording the audio. And the girl sitting next to me, because she was at the part where the two round tables met, had no table in front of her. So she put her K2 on the table next to me where mine was. And they had REM pods and all kinds of stuff out for the hunt. Well, Jill starts talking and my the two K2s in front of me go all five lights. They go off. And a few minutes later, you know, maybe a minute later, they go off again. Well, the second time they go off, I instantly got violently ill. And I'm sitting there doing everything I can not to throw up on the table. And when the thing went off again, Jill says to me, she goes, wow, the spirits must really like you. And I just looked over at her and I said, I'm not so sure they do. Well, she looks at me, and she can see something's wrong, and she goes, what's the matter? And I said, well, touch my forehead. And she touched my forehead. She goes, man, you're like a block of ice. And the girl next to me reaches over and put her hand on my left forearm, and she goes, you are. You're, you're as cold as ice. And I just said, guys, i got to get up. i got to go outside. You know, I am really sick. So I get up, and as I'm walking by another girl that was farther down the tables, I'm about a foot and a half from her. She goes, holy cow, I can feel how cold he is from here. So I went outside for about 10, 15 minutes, and Jill came out to see if I was okay. And I said, well, let's go back in. I'm feeling a little better. So we walked back in, and, man, it was like a tsunami of sickness walloped me as soon as I walked back in the place. So anyway, I go in, and I just look over at the people, and I said, guys, it's been great, but I think I better go. And I stop and I turn around and I look back and then I leave. Well, they showed me the video and after I said, uh, you know, when she says the the, uh, spirits must really like you and I said, I'm not so sure they do. There's a woman's voice that says, we do. Well, I go outside and when I come back in and I'm standing there and I say, you know, guys, I've never left a uh, 
hunted my life, but I'm too sick, I don't want to ruin this for you. And I turned around and I started to walk away. There is a man's voice on the tape that says, Turn Rick back. Well, that's creepy enough, but I stop after he says that and look back and say, Guys, have a good hunt. And I start to walk away and the man's voice says, Release him. Now, I've been back to the back to the Pioneer Saloon many times. And there was a girl that was murdered, strangled by her ex-boyfriend on the other side of the, uh, the saloon. And it seems that Ruby has taken a liking to me because every time I go there, whenever she makes an appearance, you know, when uh, Jill will get her to say who's here and she goes, Ruby, the next thing she does, says is Rick. So, you know, I have like this, uh, this girl that likes me at the Pioneer Saloon. Unfortunately, she's like, not alive. Tess, have fun. Happy Halloween. Bye. <laughs> what a neat guy, for sure. You have a happy Halloween, too, my friend, Rick. And those EVPs, that is such precious evidence. You could be doing this for so long, but it never gets old. Each one is like a gift wrapped up for you from the dead, the voice of the dead. And I absolutely love it. Again, never gets old. And especially that eerie EVP, release him. It's like, okay, yeah, something was definitely going on there. He was smart to get out when he did. And I'm like him. I've never prematurely ended a investigation before. But, you know, when your health is at risk, you kind of got to take a quick exit for sure. But you could under I could understand why that spirit of the murdered girl feels safe probably when Rick's around because he's a big, strong, strapping fella, you know? And so there we have it. Thank you so much, Rick, for being on and sharing your spectacular story. My next blood donor who's on the list is my awesome friend Bree Blackstone. And Bree is out of Washington, and she works in the death care field. And I think that is so awesome. I've always been interested in doing something like that. And I always look up to people who do that and love to hear about their experiences and stuff. Here is Bree. So Bree is going to be talking about two different encounters. So here we go. This story happened when I was a little kid. My dad had taken my brother and I to the Queen Mary, which was always fascinating because you see all the unsolved mystery cases and you see the ghost stories and you read all the stuff. and It just has this fascinating appeal. And I don't remember exactly how old I was. We had to still live in California and we moved out of there when I was 12. So I had to be 12 or under probably under but we went on the tour and you know they give us this great tour and the thing though that I found most impressive about the Queen Mary was not the hallways and the grandeur and all of that stuff I was I was so fascinated with the propeller and that's the thing that like sticks out of me about the the whole tour is this propeller because it was so massive. And you 
I mean, you get into this room and there's these bars, um, guardrail things to protect you. (laughs) And you look over and there's this massive propeller. Huge. Just huge propeller. And I remember thinking or hoping maybe a shark would go by. And maybe that's Maybe it's because I watched Jaws when I was too young or something, but I just kept thinking a shark has to go by. But it didn't. But that propeller was so big. Anyway, so the tour ended, and my brother and my dad went up on deck, and I had told my dad I had to go to the bathroom, and he was like, that's fine, just meet us up on deck. And I'm like, okay. So I go to the bathroom, and I come back out, and there's, there's the escalator in front of me. And I have to kind of turn to get on it. But there's a gentleman standing there. And he's in jacket, like ship cat jacket, pants, the hat. I think he was wearing gloves. I can't remember. But I remember that he very much looked like he worked there and that he was stationed there, whatever. And he turned and he looked at me with just his head and nodded and I smiled and nodded and didn't think anything of it and and I got on the escalator and I felt about a second or two later I felt the the move of the escalator like somebody else got on behind you and I heard the steps when your feet get on an escalator and so I thought oh he must be going up too and so I got to the top of the escalator and I turned to wish the gentleman have a good day because I was a friendly little kid but when I got off at the top there wasn't anybody there and I thought to myself maybe maybe I'm mistaken maybe he didn't get on behind me maybe maybe he did get on and then got off I don't know but I remember I remember the the move of the escalator so much that I thought somebody had to get on behind me. But as a kid, you're you're thinking, maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe, you know, maybe it just didn't happen that way. Maybe, yeah, maybe he just never got on the escalator. Maybe I had seen one too many ghost stories about the Queen Mary and imagined it. Not the guy, but getting on the escalator but I remember that weight moving the escalator and to this day when anybody gets on behind me on an escalator I think of that really quick I think about that moment on the Queen Mary and there are times where I'll find myself checking behind me to make sure somebody got on behind me that I didn't just imagine it but maybe it's just another ghost story for the Queen Mary audio log. Wow. Thank you, Bree, for that first story about the Queen Mary. You know, it's a place that I had passed by several times and I had never have the, had the opportunity to get on myself, but I would love to sometime in the future. It too is one of those amazing locations that you just, like Bree said, you hear so much about, right? And there's so much going on there, so much history and so many resident spirits there 
And Bree is not the only person who has seen a full-bodied apparition. And I mean, this man, you know, even interacted with her by nodding and stuff. And and Bree mentioned that perhaps he got on, but then had gotten off. But with an escalator, as a lot of you know, once you get on and it's going up one way, it's it's not the easiest thing in the world to get off. And you do, you make sounds as you're doing it. As a kid, I would do that. I would get on and then like run backwards back off. And it's very noticeable when that does happen. And so very interesting stuff, very neat and awesome encounter. And yeah, like Bree said, another one for the Queen Mary ghost blog book. <laughs> now here is Bree's second encounter. Take it away, my pretty. So my story is on a normal night for me. It happened last year. Uh, It was at my godparents' house. My godparents had already gone to bed, and I had stayed up to work on my computer and watch television and drink decaf coffee, just normal stuff for me. And I got to a point where I decided it was bedtime. And I got the cats rounded up and let them know that it was bedtime and got them into the bedroom. I washed out my coffee cup, turned off my computer, and slowly I just started meandering around the house, turning off the lights. Clicked off the hall light, checked the front door, clicked off the front room light, turned off the fireplace, and I walked around to the kitchen and turned to go back down the hallway, which is on the other side of the kitchen, and when I turned, there was this black mass. And through through it, I just, I couldn't see the light of our neighbor, which you can normally see when all the lights are off. You can see their back deck light. I couldn't see anything. And I jumped, and I went back into the front room and turned on the light and immediately just stood there and didn't know what to do. I just stood there for a minute and, and tried to calm my nerves because it really had startled me. And after I got myself kind of resorted, I went back around the corner to see maybe I saw something. Maybe maybe something was in the window and like covering the light and I just couldn't see it. And I turned on the light and there was nothing there. There was nothing in the in the room that would block the light. There was nothing uh, in the kitchen that would block the light. And so I turned off the light again in the kitchen and just stood there and was like, yep, I can see my neighbor's light. The next day I asked my godfather if anything weird had gone on in the house. And he said no. And I said, okay. And when I told them what happened, they just went, oh. And my godfather said, sometimes ghosts travel. And sometimes you just catch them at the right moment where they're in your area. So I guess I just caught a traveling ghost who startled me. (laughs) And for the next couple days, I didn't go through the kitchen turning off the lights. I clicked it off and walked the other way around. So I went from the kitchen to the living room to my bedroom. (laughs) That is awesome. And I love her, her godfather's response. Oh, no, nothing weird happens here. Oh, yeah, but this happens. 
<laughs> and I like that, you know, sometimes we just kind of run into them. And uh, nicely put, Godfather, nicely put. Brie, thank you so much for sharing those. And you guys, Brie is the one that I talked about that I mentioned when I was doing my Yuma Territorial Prison episode. That lovely gal's the one who has been there. And she will be on a future episode talking about that and other things as well. Thank you, Brie, for sharing your spooktacular events. Next on my spectacular paranormal list of good friends is the awesome Jackie Moran and Brian Meisinger. Jackie is a lead investigator and a historian, and Brian is a firefighter and also a paranormal investigator. Jackie sent me an email along with two Class A EVPs, and I will read that email to you right now. Good afternoon, Tessa. Here are those EVPs we mentioned on your post. These come from U.S. Paranormal Research. These two were captured at a residence in Whitewater, Wisconsin. The house is an amazing building where the owners have done a great job of restoring it. These were caught on our static recorder in the back staircase of the house. One of them says, shut up. We were in the process of setting up so you can hear us in the background talking. The second one was off that same recorder in the back staircase of the house. Thanks, and have a wonderful day. So here is that first EVP titled Shut Up. Oh my god, that is a total class A EVP phenomenal you could totally hear that shut up and it's close to the recorder that's happened to me several times where you get the you you hear you talking in the background or whatever but it's like they're right there in front of the recorder talking into the recorder so I'm going to play that again but also guys we are now getting into EVP territory as you just learned so please grab those headphones because sometimes it helps to hear it better So I'm going to play that again and again. You could hear them in the background, but then you hear that shut up. (laughs) I absolutely love it. That is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, you guys. Now I'm going to play the other one, and it's titled I Don't Live Here. Very cool. And that almost seems like that's the same voice, right? Shut up. And I don't live here. So it's like, was this an attachment? Did the, did the spirit come with them or, or what happened here? But I definitely want to know more about this investigation. And uh, maybe someday in the future, both Brian and Jackie can be on. And that would be phenomenal. And so again, I'm going to play the I Don't Live Here. It's like, I don't live here. Very, very cool. Once again, two tremendous findings. Absolutely. Very eerie, very clear. 
I don't live here. And shut up. Very nice finds, you guys. Keep up the amazing work. And thank you, Brian and Jackie, for sharing these absolutely phenomenal EVPs. My next guests are my pals, Kim and David Libby. Both David and Kim are out of this world phenomenal artist and are based out of Missouri. They wrote down some encounters, and I will read those right now for you. I'm going to read Kim's first. After having countless paranormal events happening, such as poltergeist activity, bright lights coming on behind me in the room, then turning around and it's gone, to having a voice say, hey, in my ear. Twice while walking from my living room into the dining room, I saw an egg-like thing on the ceiling. I just stood and stared at this anomaly. It had a yoke with veins running through it. It is undulated as I looked at it, then disappeared. After I viewed this, I decided to purchase a digital recorder and run it throughout the night to find out what was happening in my home at night. Within seconds of turning on the recorder, I got the I hate you voice. Thank goodness I didn't listen to the recording until the next day because I probably wouldn't have slept. Since then, the activity has continued and we've documented so much. So this is the first recording that she had gotten of the voice saying I hate you. And you could definitely hear something there and it's very eerie. So here we go. So it was at the very beginning, too. It said, I hate you. So I'm going to replay that real quick for you, that very beginning part. And so she wrote that to me and sent me that audio. And I asked her, geez, that's horrible. I'm hoping that the that negative spirit has since left your home. And she replied saying, I have heard the spirit a few times saying the same thing. We recorded it on security cameras probably nine months ago is the most recent. We have our home spirits that are here all the time, and then we also get ones that pass through. Very eerie. It is never fun dealing with a negative spirit, and it comes with the territory. You know, they're not all going to be these sweet, grateful, happy, friendly, Casper the Ghost kind of spirits, you know. The, you do get a bunch that will attack you, you know, possess you, have attachments with you. They they do things to mess with you. I had one uh, when I was in Pioneer Cemetery, an old cemetery in Pueblo, Colorado. And I had a man call me a whore. <laughs> and it's just like, how dare you? <laughs> but it happens. It just, again, it comes with the territory. So, and it's unfortunate that he seems to still be lingering there he or she. And uh, she said most recent was nine months. So that's good. Hopefully that means it's a long, at least it's not like an everyday thing. And hopefully the spirit has found somewhere else to go. So that was Kim Libby. Thank you so much, Kim, for sharing this event. 
And now, the next guest is Kim's lovely husband, David Libby. And David, like Kim, he sent some audio and he wrote down a few things for me to talk about. So here we go. So what I'm going to do is play this one audio sound for you and it's one minute and seven seconds and a lot is going on. I'm going to play that for you. Listen to it very closely. Okay. And then after that, I'm going to write down a sum up of what that EVP was as David was awesome and wrote it down. And then I'm going to play it again for you. So here we go. Okay, so this is what he wrote. Here the write-up is for the above EVP, Haunting Evidence. Now this was back in November 9th of 2017 on a Thursday evening at 9.57 p.m. And this was in the front bedroom. And he even writes, recommend headphones for some parts. So this is what it's about said that there was a brothel near us that tragically burnt down, killing a lot of people. Some of our spirits, we believe, are from the brothel. Jacob, a spirit of the young boy, EVPs along with others support that fact. In this Class A EVP, we hear the spirit voice of Vicky for the first time. We believe that Jacob's mother has left him for a man named Bobby Wright, and Jacob is talking to Vicky, who we believe is now looking after him after his mother leaving him. There are also other spirits talking, including the one who calls himself the Bad One from another EVP and mocking Jacob that his mom is gone forever. Note, the only voices in this EVP are spirit voices. EVP breakdown. This happens in our front bedroom. Kim and I are not home. So he says that there's camera noise and then a couple seconds in what they believe to be Jacob is crying. He says Vicky and then crying and then there's a camera click sound and then oh no from Jacob and then Jacob says what's going on Vicky? And then an unknown voice says, Jacob. And then from someone they considered the bad man says, she's gone for ev- ever. And then Vicky says, stop it. And then 
Jacob says she turned away. You seen her. And then, no, she's with Bobby, right? No. And they think that's Vicky. Then Jacob says, we going to punish Gruff. And then an unknown voice says, devil. Then there's a loud knock. And then a loud breath. <sighs> and then an unearthly voice saying, demon. And then two unknown voices, one saying, jump, and the other saying, sit. And then there's some unexplainable sounds. And that's the end of the EVP. So there's a lot going on there. And you could clearly hear voices. But David and Kim were not home when this took place. So I'm going to play that again. And we're going to break it down. And again, some of these might be hard to hear. So you really need to turn the volume up and put your earphones on. So right there, you hear the camera, you hear Vicky and you hear crying, and it's very faint. You really, really have to listen. Again, those headphones, they work wonders. So you hear the, oh no, what's going on, Vicky? It's like, oh no, what's going on, Vicky? Then you hear that taunting voice. She's gone forever. It's like, that's so sad. You know, this little boy and his, you know, being taunted about his mom being gone forever. So this part is super interesting. It's this conversation between spirits. Says she's gone forever. Stop it. She turned away, you seen her, and then, no, she's with Bobby Wright, no! So I'm going to replay that part, because that part is very interesting to me. That last one right there was, we gonna punish Gruff! Knock. So again, a ton of stuff going on in there. Ton of EVPs, sounds, unexplained things happening, conversation between spirits. We know that Vicky's part of it, that Jacob's part of it, and that this not very nice man, the bad man, a very bad man. So really interesting find right there. And again, just the fact that nobody is home. Like, that's mind-blowing to me. So thank you for sharing that. So David also sent me a few other EVP audios. He describes what they are. So he says, this first EVP I sent is what we believe is the madame, the madame of the brothel, asking Jacob to summon a girl for a customer. The EVP says, got it. Jacob, get a Dahlia. It's Jack. Yes. And he says that this is the same brothel that they believe was burned down. And he says that at the end of this message, I'll add some interesting facts we found out about our home and surrounded area.
I'm going to play that again. So it's at the beginning. And again. Very cool. Gotta love it. Gotta love those EVPs. I tell you, they are just so phenomenal to me. So the second EVP, this is what he wrote. This is the second EVP I sent you says, hey, Jimmy killed her around midnight. We believe there might be a body buried in our yard because of several EVPs we've received and by some mediums. So we asked the spirits who was the killer and later that night we got the enclosed EVP. So I'm going to play this next audio for you right now. And again, it's called, Hey, Jimmy killed her around midnight. Okay, so you really need your headphones for these EVPs. Take a listen again. And again. Very spooky findings for sure. Now, this is what he wrote. Here's a few facts about our home and surrounding area. No one but Kim and I, so far, have seen everything that has happened in our home. We have over 300 plus credible video of unexplained light anomalies and that is only a small part of a whole picture. We have and will be releasing the EVPs that are not only Class A, but some with whole conversations with multiple spirits. We've heard these spirits with our own ears, felt the vibrations of their footsteps on our floor. They have set off our security motion sensors and cameras. They have answered our questions, even turned on and off the TV when asked. We both have seen, heard, and witnessed poltergeist activities, seen objects levitate in thin air and thrown across the room. We've been touched and on a few occasions physically attacked. We have even seen some of the spirits in physical form. So this is not just some pretty light show we captured on a secure security camera, which the camera sends any recording straight to a secure cloud. We cannot change or alter any of that footage. There's multiple things going on here. The light creatures we believe are from another dimension. The spirits are from multiple hauntings of our house. Which brings up another point. We are daily researching the history of our house, location, and area, just to name a few. Countless hours are being spent investigating. We are leaving no stone unturned. Examples of some of what we've discovered so far. And before we get into this, I just need to say that he sent not only audio, but an actual video. So those EVPs you guys are hearing are coming from a video. And there are some lights kind of flying around. And so please check out my Paranormal Prowlers page on Facebook. And I will have them share these videos so you can see it with your own eyes. So anyways, number one, 
Our house sits directly over an abandoned coal mine with numerous unrecorded deaths. How did we know that? Especially since the history of this part of the coal mine has been erased. First, I am not an amateur. I was a professional private investigator for over a decade. I am extremely thorough, and the fact that Kim and I are both sensitives our whole lives. We make a formidable team. Back to the erased coal mine history, we tracked down a former mine worker who knew the real story. Two, there was a brothel near us that tragically burned down, killing a lot of people. Some of our spirits, we believe, are there from this brothel. Three, our entire neighborhood is haunted. We've interviewed numerous people and come to find out there are a lot of child spirits. There are a lot of children's spirits. So we came to find out through our research that there were orphan trains that regularly dropped off children in our town, which unfortunately led to child slavery and mistreatment. Four, our house was on the segregation part of town divided by the railroad. The Ku Klux Klan was very prevalent in this part of Missouri. They worked with local outlaws, including the James Gang and the Quintel's Raiders. We feel that they might be responsible for that brothel burning. This is just a small part of what we have discovered in this journey. And I apologize for this small novel, but I wanted to make a point. Kim and I were not just posting cute little videos of ghosties as a fun hobby. And yes, we get a little irritated when someone blatantly dismisses one piece of evidence without knowing all the facts and information or even all the things that happened and we have debunked. We just don't blindly take everything for being supernatural. Our case's integrity is the most important fact of all. Now to the most important part of this post. For all of our friends who have followed us and supported our mission for the supernatural truth, we are so very grateful for your support. We have much love for you, but continue to ask questions, point out what you see and feel. We are a team and everyone's opinions matter. Sincerely, Kim and David. So, very cool stuff and a lot of history there. Seems like their home is almost like a portal, you know, just spirits coming in and out. They have the ones that kind of come through and then they have the resident spirits there too, of course. Just so much history with the children's slaves and the KKK and the, the mining, the mine workers, just so much going on there. And... I would love to have these folks on at some point for a future episode, for a full episode, because they have so much more to share. Absolutely, they do. And they always are posting videos of their evidence and experiences and encounters on Facebook. So thank you, Kim and David Libby, for being on and sharing your encounters. Next up is my good friend, Lee Still. Poor guy was not feeling very great, but was able to write something down for me and share a video as well. So I'm going to read what he wrote and you'll hear that video shortly after. Here's a first class EVP my team captured on one of our investigations at an old black cemetery in Kernersville, North Carolina. 
where we have got a lot of responses from. The cemetery dates back to Civil War times and isn't too far away from the infamous Coroner's Foley House. There used to be a church at the location, but it was relocated to another site in town. This video is from several years back when our former tech specialist Ray was with the team. He was using a device called an Echo Fox or Echo Box. He asks, quote, where are you buried? And plain as can be, you can hear a male voice that wasn't one of our investigators, but an unseen presence respond right here very clearly, and we looped it in the short video so you can hear it repeat several times. This is one of our clearest EVPs. Our team name is Positively Paranormal Investigation Team, and we're a Christian-based team based out of Liberty, North Carolina, where we have an office in our team leader's house. We have about 10 plus years experience and we do residential, business, and popular historical sites investigations of reportedly haunted sites, such as the USS North Carolina Battleship, the old Charleston, South Carolina City Gel, and Gettysburg. We've been featured on True Ghost Stories, WWAY TV News, Elon TV, the Ashboro Courier Thrive Magazine, and newspaper and other newspaper articles. We do cleansings and blessings and never charge for our services. We're currently working on a collaboration with the Ghost Nation TV show. So this is from Lee Still, my friend. He's the team case manager. I'm going to play that video right now. And you will hear, again, this voice saying right here. So you're going to hear the investigator speak, and then you're going to hear right here. Where are you buried? Where are you buried? Where are you buried? So very cool. He's like, right here. And yeah, you could definitely hear that. It's very clear. Like you said, it's a Class A EVP. So very awesome. Lee, thank you for sharing. Have to get you back on here sometime for a full episode. And I live in North Carolina part-time, so we should go investigate together. I've been to the North Carolina battleship, but I've never actually investigated it. So maybe we could do that sometime. So, again, Lee, thank you so much, and I'm hoping that you're feeling better now. Trick or treat! Trick or treat indeed, my lovelies. Keep on rolling. Up next is my dear friend, Angie Velasquez, who had just gone with me to Tombstone in September, wanted to share a couple of EVPs she had received while there. Both of us, upon listening to our respective audio have gathered several EVPs from the investigations that we conducted there. Angie's first EVP I'm going to be sharing with you came from Watt and Tarbell Mortuary, phenomenal place to investigate. She received an EVP of a man, and I'm going to be playing that right now. So Angie had sent me a video a while back when she had first discovered this EVP, and so I'm going to be playing that audio for you, and in that audio is the EVP. So here we go. So in the video, I'm going to play the recorder, and hopefully you can hear it, but you hear homicide. And then right after he says homicide, 
then you can hear it that you say that the ovulus caught homicide. And then a few moments later, I say that I have, that I'm in full chills or something to that effect. But anyway, here it is. So I'm going to replay that little part where he says homicide and then you hear me shortly after saying homicide and I know there's a lot of background talk. There is Nora, me, Sari and Amy and Angie and my boyfriend and so there's a there are a lot of people there and then we did have the spirit box going but let's see. So I don't know if you hear that, but you hear me say homicide. But before that, he's like whispering it like homicide. So very interesting stuff. Good find, Angie, for sure. So then the next one that she sends me comes from the courthouse. And this is where seven people were executed, including the man who attached himself to me. And actually a replica of the gallows stands in the courtyard this model was made specifically for the bisbee five now believe it or not with the gallows for most most of the times anyway they were just used the one time they would be made and for that person specifically for their weight and their different type of gallows and stuff and then after being swung into eternity they would kind of break down and reuse it for something else or burn it or whatever but it was a very eerie place. And so while there in the courtroom upstairs, she records for one whole minute. She asks if anybody's with us. And she got a response through the recorder of a man saying a very bad man. So I'm going to play that one for you guys right now. And again, it is Angie talking and then she plays the EVP. So here we go. Okay, so this next video um, recording is from the courthouse where it says a very bad man. So again, there's some background there, but you can hear him. He's like, very bad man. And so I'm going to replay that. So there that is. Big thank you for my dear friend Angie. She always has a lot of neat things to share. And me and her are planning a trip to Tombstone next year. I think we're going to make it an annual thing. (laughs) But anyways, so thank you, Angie, my dear friend, for sharing your EVPs. (laughs) 
Oh, and I forgot to say Angie is out of Colorado. I'm just liking to tell you guys where these amazing guests are from because they are really just from all over the states. And first one, my good friend Steve from Canada. So really fun stuff for sure. So Angie's from Colorado. Now my next guest is this awesome medium, my friend Mary Priscilla, and she is out of South Dakota. And just like Lee, unfortunately Mary was not feeling good she was going to record something for me and she just said that her throat was just absolutely killing her and she sounded like a witch and kidding around I was just kind of like well it is for a Halloween episode it might be fun if you sound like a witch (laughs) but I told her you know write something down for me if you'd like and so she did and so I'm going to read that right now for you hi there Mary Priscilla here to share with you my most memorable, scary experience. It was winter of 2017. My husband and I just got back from our trip from New York City, and we're back at home getting our three kids settled back into our routine. Everything seemed to be normal when we first got home, but we had some lights having a mind of their own, and the basement door kept opening even when it was locked. We just kind of ignored these things because we assumed it was because our house was built in the 1900s and was abandoned for five years before we bought it. So, making an excuse, we just said it's because it's an old house and needs some fixing up. Well, the day after we got back, my husband had left to go to work. He worked in a different state and would be gone for a week at a time. I came downstairs to the main level and I could hear a woman talking. I looked outside and all around the house and nobody was there. So I went to our son's room to get him ready for school and he said, Mom, my back hurts. I asked him what he did and looked at his back and that's when I have seen he was bleeding and had three long scratches down his back. I could not believe my eyes. I got him cleaned up and to school and texted my husband. I was freaking out because the horror movie buff part of me couldn't make sense of the reality part of what just happened. I went through his bed to see if anything could have scratched him, like a screw, a piece of the bed frame, anything that could give me an explanation. There was nothing. So I went about my day, and that evening I came home from work to find the front door open. I walked inside and heard someone walking upstairs. I was on the phone with my husband, told him to call the cops, and I sent the kids to the neighbor's house. Being a small town South Dakota girl, I'm always packing and had worked with law enforcement in the past, so searching my house was second nature to me. I sent my dog in first and she ran straight upstairs, freaking out. I hear her get kicked across the floor and start crying. I then made my way, gun drawn, to find absolutely nothing except my dog laying on the floor. I finished my search and met the cops at the front door. They did their own search and found nothing, but asked only one question. You know, your house is old and known for weird things happening. Have you ever had anything unexplainable happen here? And I said, what do you mean? He responded, Do you think your house could be haunted? I laughed at him and thanked them for coming and to stay safe. To be honest, 
I was very upset with that officer at the time, until a few days later, when I was up late working, my baby was sleeping on my bed after nursing, and I see his arm move in a weird way, and thought to myself, hmm, he must be dreaming. Then, just like that, he slides across the bed and straight onto the floor. I jumped up and tried to catch him, but didn't make it in time. He woke up crying from the fall, and that's when I heard a woman laughing in my room. This would be the first of many experiences in this house. After this, I called a paranormal team, a priest, and I learned a lot about who I was and that I was not crazy. So that is very, very scary, you know? I mean... And she's alone, mind you. Her husband's out of state working. And that must have been absolutely terrifying. You know, it's one thing if you live there by yourself, but once you throw your animals and your children in, then it's like, wow, I'm not only afraid for myself, but I'm afraid for other living beings, you know, like her poor dog getting like thrown on the ground and, and then her poor little infant child getting thrown to the ground too and crying in pain too. I mean, very, very scary stuff. I hope things have calmed down a little bit there for you, Mary. And so anyway, thank you so much, my good friend, Mary, for sharing that terrifying tell because that truly is terrifying. So next up, is my friend Kevin Paul. He is a phenomenal medium as well. And he has been all over the world investigating. And it's just mind boggling to me all the things that has happened with him. And so what he did, he has these amazing things that experiences and encounters and investigations that he has written down. So I'm going to read a couple of those. And then I have some audio on two of them as well. So there's a few things we're going to be talking about with Kevin. So Kevin, real quick, is out of Washington, D.C., a neat place. I've been there just once and checked out all the monuments and stuff. And it was just pretty awesome. So anyways, here is Kevin introducing himself. Hi, I'm Kevin Paul, an international psychic and medium, educator, writer, speaker, and paranormal investigator. I talk to the dead and the dead talk to me. You know, I enjoy investigating all over the world, doing cleansings and advising folks who are experiencing paranormal activity in their homes. I'm the host of my own show called Psychic Mediums Live on my Facebook page, Kevin Paul Psychic Medium where I talk with all sorts of psychics, mediums, and paranormal investigators like Tessa Morrow to understand their journeys and the details of how they do what they do. I also run the Academy of Real Magic, a remote one-on-one -on -one training program which identifies and trains students to develop their abilities and to learn to do it on demand. You can find me on Facebook at Kevin Paul Psychic Medium and on my website, KevinPaulPsychicMedium.com. Pretty good stuff right there. So anyways, I asked Kevin, you know, you have so many different encounters that you've written down because he gave me all, all of them and said, use what you want. And I said, this is for a Halloween special. I want to scare the shit out of people. <laughs> you know, um, I'm looking for spooky. What do you recommend? And he gave me a couple. And then he um, told me about two audio as well. Both of them are from out of the country. And so I'm going to read first and then we'll throw the audio your way. So the first one that I'm going to read that Kevin has written down is called Trapped, 
a true and scary ghost investigation that I completed. And he wrote this in June 22nd, 2018. I'm a psychic medium who investigates locations and then creates a plan to help clear and cleanse the space of unwanted residual and active spirit energies. I do this work by using compassion and understanding first, then firmness if there is any resistance by the active spirit. My philosophy is to communicate with the spirits and understand their story and why they are still here. Besides investigating, I also enjoy doing private readings and teaching others how to use their abilities. A friend of mine, who I will call Joe, purchased a newly constructed house by a beautiful lake, which he used as his weekend getaway. Joe had confided in me that he had seen spirits in his new house for many years and that it made him feel uncomfortable. He didn't know why they were there or what they wanted. Joe told me that he has seen spirits since he was young, and he didn't really like seeing them, so he never engaged them. To me, this meant that Joe was a natural sensitive since he was able to see the dead. He is basically a clairvoyant medium. Because of this, he is a lighthouse or magnet for the dead, who are either wandering around lost or looking for a safe haven. These spirits would be drawn to him and his abilities typically to seek help, but not always. Joe invited me to his lake house one weekend in September 2017 and asked if I would investigate what was going on in his house. I agreed to make an assessment without cleansing the house of spirits all in one day, in one visit, since that would take a lot of time and energy. I just wanted to understand the stories of the spirits and find out why they were there and then communicate that to Joe. I was basically just going to observe, listen, and then come up with a plan to cleanse the location at another time. The rest of the weekend would be fun activities like going out on the lake in his boat with friends and swimming in his pool, hot tubbing, etc. Joe's house has three levels. I asked Joe to tell me what he has experienced on each level. Joe explained that he had seen a misty type of black mist on the ceiling and the wall a few times in the basement, which is a beautiful entertainment area with a full bar. On the main level of the house, he and a few others had seen a black man in overalls. On the top floor, people reported seeing small blue lights at night in the room where the lights would also turn on by themselves sometimes. We arrived to his house on a Friday night, and I knew that I needed to start the investigation that evening. I felt the spirits wanting to tell their stories, and I wanted to hear them. I knew this would be an interesting walk, so my plan was to start in the basement and work my way up to the top level. Joe agreed to accompany me on this investigation to document what I was picking up. Once I opened myself up to spirit communication, I was ready to begin. Opening up for me means to quietly meditate, to calm my energy, which allows me to perceive and receive communication from spirit. The basement. The basement. In the basement, I was able to pick up that the active energy was rather weak and timid. I got that the spirit was a male and tied to the land and agriculture in some way. 
I figured out that he liked to hide in the room with all the house electronics, which was behind the bar. This location allowed him to pull some amount of energy, which he used to materialize as a black mist to Joe that one time. He was so timid that I couldn't really get his story. I felt that he was either unable or unwilling to leave the basement for some reason. I felt that this spirit was weak, harmless, and a bit desperate. Interestingly enough, I discovered more about him on the next level. The main floor. On the main floor, I decided to sit down at the dining room table. On that level, I knew the spirit of a black man in overalls had been seen in a few times, so I invited him to tell me his story. Immediately, I felt a presence or pressure on my left side like someone was leaning into me. I immediately got that his spirit was from the early 1800s and had worked the land nearby. He had been a slave. I was talking out loud while I was receiving this information, so Joe was hearing it in real time. Quickly, Joe interrupted me and asked me if I could get his name, and I immediately wrote down the name Jacob, then said it out loud. It just popped into my head, which for me means that I'm receiving the information directly from the source. As soon as I had done that, then Joe exclaimed, that was the same name he got when he and a few friends had used a Ouija board a few years back. Okay, I thought, now we have a confirmed name. Now let's get the rest of the story. I was glad to have confirmed his name, but I really wanted his story. So I pressed on. I asked Jacob why he was there, and I got that he was taking revenge. Then it all became clear to me. Jacob somehow trapped his slave owner's spirit in the basement and others on the top floor. He was taking revenge and making them feel like prisoners. He was the warden and making others feel the way he felt when he was alive. Jacob was a strong energy and patrolled the house and the grounds. Others had seen Jacob in and outside, which means he is a very strong spirit. This spirit was on a mission. I thanked him and we moved on to the second floor. The second floor. After learning what was going on in the house, I was curious what was upstairs. So slowly we went upstairs. My impression was that the spirits were young, more than one, and they were hiding because Jacob had also entrapped them. I felt that these young spirits were the children of the slave owner in the basement. What better way to punish someone than to punish their children as well? These young spirits were smart and mischievous and were able to manipulate electricity by turning the lights on or off. They were able to sneak around the house a little and were looking for help to get out of their entrapment. After the investigation, we returned to the main floor and I told Joe that to cleanse his house, all we had to do was convince Jacob to leave and the entrapped spirits would quickly leave as well. They wouldn't need any encouragement. Once I retired to my room, I wrote a few things down that I would reference on my next visit, which would be to cleanse the house. I constructed a few sentences that I would use to convince Jacob to stop being the warden. I wrote as if I was counseling him. I wrote that, Quote, forgiveness is very powerful, but it doesn't mean that you would have to forget what happened, unquote. I also wrote an appeal that I would use, quote, wouldn't you rather be with your loved ones instead of being in this house, 
keeping these spirits in your prison, unquote. And I finally wrote, quote, that you have made your point and that those spirits now understand what suffering really is, unquote. After my analysis and writing, I went to bed only to wake up in the middle of the night by the young spirits that had made their way down to my room and entered my dream state to send me a message. While I was asleep and dreaming, they were trying to use my vocal cords to tell me something. In my dream, I remember asking some person in the room if they could understand what was coming through my voice since I couldn't make it out. This person said they absolutely could understand, but he didn't tell me what it was. Needless to say, I woke up in a pitch dark room, wondering what had just happened. It took me a few minutes to gather my senses, figure out what had just happened, and then try to go back to sleep. This hadn't happened before. I couldn't figure out what message they were trying to send me. The next day, Joe showed me around this new vacation housing development that he lived in. And close by his house, we came upon a small area that had recently had a nice rustic wooden fence installed. No surprise, it was a slave cemetery with natural stones used as markers laid to mark where the head and the feet of the body were placed in the ground. There were 20 or so adult and children-sized plots. I told Joe that Jacob and his family were buried there. The rest of the weekend was visiting with friends and enjoying the weekend. Many months later, as I planned to return to do the cleansing, Joe told me that since my investigation, he nor any of his other friends who are somewhat sensitive to these energies haven't seen or felt anything. Then it dawned on me. The time after my investigation in the bedroom of Joe's house, I spent some quiet time writing down and thinking about my plans and approach to cleansing the house and how I would counsel Jacob to convince him to leave. Unknown to me at that time, that process was indeed an unintentional cleansing moment. As I look back upon it, of course Jacob was present since he basically patrolled that house and he therefore had heard my thoughts and understood my intentions. He decided that yes, He would prefer to be with his loved ones and that he was ready to move on. I also think I understand that the message those young spirits were trying to give me during my dream state was perhaps a big thank you. Once Jacob decided to leave that night, they were free to move on as well. The house is now quiet and I encourage Joe to seal his house and property so that no other spirits wander by and try to make up residence. To me, what an amazing story. Like, wow. It's just, it gave me chills, you know, and Kevin made a good point. Like the best way to punish the slave owner was to enslave the slave owner's own children, which of course they're innocent, you know, like, cause you know, their father or family member did something, didn't mean they did it too. But what a really interesting story. And it's really neat that Jacob came through the Ouija board And then at a different time, Kevin, being this medium, he picked up on Jacob as well. So really awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Now I'm going to do one of the audio. So what this short video is going to be about is, and I know I'm probably going to say this wrong, so I apologize, Hanoi Hilton, prisoner of war camp in Vietnam. And he went there and investigated 
And this is what he wrote, saying, Scary Vietnamese prisoner of war camp retains powerful energy. I had just traveled 24 hours halfway across the world with very little sleep. I was still able to open up and feel the strong residual energy at this very famous site. It exhausted me. Welcome to Hanoi Hilton. this location and super dizzy head hurts chest hurts i'm just picking up on the residual energy in this volcanic this location which is just very painful very sad desperate so i'm just uh, giving you a pan around here we're at they would say maybe the hanoi hilton here in Vietnam, this is where prisoners have been kept for over a hundred years, from the French to the Japanese, and then the Vietnamese. Very odd and sad energy, which makes me super dizzy. So I'm just picking up on the residual energy here in this space. And you could hear that pretty Vietnamese music in the background, too. It's really neat to like go to different countries and investigate. You know, I would love to do that sometime. 